Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to New Books in East Asian Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Ed Pulford, one of the hosts of the channel. On the podcast today, we have Sonny Koo, who's the senior lecturer in ethnomusicology at the University of Auckland, and she'll be talking about her new book, Sound of the Border, Music and Identity of Korean Minority in China, which was published in 2021 by University of Hawaii Press. For people living in borderlands between assertive, centralizing states, questions of identity and belonging are often acute, with borderlanders sometimes feeling forced to choose one side or the other of an international divide. Yet Koreans in China, or Joseonjok in Korean, Chaoshenzu in Chinese, have, for much of recent history, been very adept in navigating the shifting demands of being both Chinese and Korean. This is evident, as I know from my own fieldwork, in everything from the language, food, political outlooks, architecture and tradition one encounters in Yenbian, the autonomous region in northeast China, where Chinese Koreans mostly live today. Sonny Koo's new book, however, makes a strong case for music being one of the richest reflections of this community's complex cultural world and the kinds of creative expression which have emerged from it over the past century and a half. Charting the entangled histories of the Korean presence in China and the music performed and consumed by the community, who offers an in-depth account of the shifting styles, genres and themes present in Chaoshenzu musical output over time, from Korean folk songs and traditional instrumentation to Chinese and North Korean-influenced socialist propaganda songs, up to a commercialized blend of essentialized ethnic music influenced by South Korean pop more recently. Woven in with this are numerous reflections on the shifting social and political contexts inhabited by Chaoshenzu musicians and their publics, helping us to understand wider questions of identity, creativity and history relevant well beyond Northeast Asia. Sound of the Border shows that from all the complexity of Chaoshenzu experience, there emerges not so much a confused cacophony as a highly distinctive musical tradition, which reflects the unique expressive space occupied by people navigating, overlapping and intersecting cultural worlds. But in any case, the uh, author is here herself to help us navigate through these layers and influences. So I'll say, Sunny Koo, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Ed. What a wonderful introduction to my book. Thank you very much. Well, it's only a a small uh, hint at what lies uh, between the book's covers, uh, but we'll be delving into all of that, of course, ourselves uh, in more detail um, as uh, the interview progresses. Um, But before we get there, uh, perhaps you could uh, start with uh, a bit of an introduction, um, helping us understand how you became uh, interested in uh, the topic of this book and your kind of broader academic background. 
Yeah, um, I was born and raised in South Korea until I moved to the U.S. Um, as an international student with intention to study Western classical music as a violin player. However, soon after I began my undergraduate studies in music, I decided I decided that I rather major in music history and theory than pursuing a performance major. So in NYU, um, I completed my BA and MA in music with a focus on Western classical music analysis. And for my PhD, I moved to Hawaii and studied ethnomusicology at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. And since 2011, I'm living in Auckland, New Zealand, and um, teaching ethnomusicology, which is um, embraced in anthropology department in University of Auckland. I see, I see. And in terms of, I mean, I, maybe this is not something you're able to answer, but uh, in terms of coming to ethnomusicology from a background in music, in, you know, in performance and in actual musical practice, is that more common than coming to ethnomusicology from, say, an anthropology background? Or is it the other way around? I don't know. Are there many ethnomusicologists who sort of start from the music side rather than the anthropology side? What, what do you think about that? Do, do you have any sense? Well, um, it is actually both. Ethnomusicology is a discipline that is grounded in musical as well as anthropological studies. So we study music as a human expression and social manifestation. Uh, we investigate music and cultural context by conducting field research and paying great attention to social and cultural significances. But many of ethnomusicologists come with musical background and often um, ethnomusicologists are musicians themselves. So, so we also learn to study music in a cultural context. Great, great. Well, yeah, certainly a lot of that close sensitivity to music itself, uh, not just the uh, social or political or cultural context, uh, which, you know, I think maybe would be more familiar to many anthropologists, uh, it really comes through in, in the book. So I'm looking forward to, to talking about that. Um, but how about the project itself uh, for Sound of the Border, the book? How did that come about? Well, um, it was about, um, now it's almost... Um, 20 years ago, when I was uh, taking a break from my graduate studies and living in Seoul, um, around 1999 and um, 2000, it was completely by chance I met a Chao Sing-ju composer who was uh, studying his PhD in a renowned South Korean university. And I got into conversation with him, and he explained that um, Chao Sing-ju construction of music is quite different from what we know as Korean music practiced in South Korea. However, at the time, um, music uh, of Chao Sing-ju was not available for me to listen to outside of China. So I had a great curiosity what the music that the composer was explaining and describing, but then there was a no way for me to actually sonically experience this music. So um, that was my sort of first um, inspiration and drive for to learn and find more about um, Chao Sing-ju music. Mm -hmm. And also, um, 
Back in 1999, I already encountered quite a number of Chao Sinju who are uh, working in a range of different sectors in Korea. But um, I found out that, you know, very little information that I had about these fellows who came from China. So that was another inspiration and motivation for me to um, explore about Chao Sinju culture, Chao Sinju people and Chao Sinju music. Right, right. And was the book uh, something that then grew out of a out of a broader research project for your for your PhD? Yes. Um, so um, I was always interested in uh, migration and identity because I myself was a migrant uh, who lived in um, North America uh, some time. So the um, identity issue was quite um, intriguing for me, and um, also. I was brought up as a classical violinist, uh, having no, uh, not much information about what other music's available, and not even Korean music was uh, something that I could, um, uh, you know, explain to people with confidence. So there are tons of music that I don't know, and there is a fellow Koreans who I don't know. So these are some of the motivations that I want to uh, focus on Chao Sinju and Chao Sinju community as my doctor study project. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, that's, uh, yeah, that's, uh, I think, a really good uh, kind of set of, of, of motivations for us to understand uh, yeah, how the how the project came about. So um, I think uh, we can jump into uh, some of the kind of content and, and what I guess yeah was eventually produced uh, as this uh, as this excellent book. Um, so you've kind of yeah given us a sense already of how you first encountered uh, the idea of Chao Shenzhou music and what your kind of first hints of it were uh, from uh, from being in uh, Seoul in in, in South Korea. Um, but how did you kind of get more into it? How did you become more in sort of involved in hearing uh, Chao Shenzhou music and um, how did you get sort of more experience of it in order to do the research? Right. Um, I mean, I visited um, Yenbin um, as um, I wanted to uh, explore the topic for my uh, larger PhD project. Um, and there I met a couple of musicians and uh, scholars who were introducing me to um, the Chao Sinju music. Even if so, the the identity of Chao Sinju music was not so clear to me um, until I met a lot of people uh, as I conduct my uh, PhD research in Yenbin. So um, I would say that I came to Yenbin and I start studying Chao Sinju music with quite um, without much um, information and without much um, uh, sound experience with Chao Sinju music. Mm. As I meet a lot of people and hearing about their discourses of Chao Sinju music, as I learn to play Chao Sinju instrument, I gradually began to understand uh, what Chao Sinju music is. And um, even now, I'm not fully sure that I completely understand what Chao Sinju music is and what their identities are. I um, try my best um, to um, share what I experienced in the Yeonbin and what I heard from uh, my informants as much as I can. Um, yeah, um, so that that was kind of a background of uh, 
me uh, going to Yanbian and start mm. studying um, Chaozhen Chi music. Right, right. Well, that feeling of having completed a research project, supposedly completed a research project, but still not being able to fully explain what it is about is something I think uh, many people, well, including me, are very familiar with. So I think that uh, <laughs> feels like a normal kind of situation to have delved into a topic very deeply and still be quite uh, unsure of whether you've actually fully understood <laughs> what's going on. Uh, but in this case, you know, there's an awful lot uh, of good reason for that too, because it, you're dealing with such a wide variety of different influences and a complex borderland and a history of migration mm -hmm. that is itself very complex. So I wonder if actually leading on from that, could you give us a bit more of a picture of the Chaozhenzhou community in China uh, and sort of background about how it how, how it formed and, and you know basically how Koreans ended up uh, in this part of uh, northeast China we should say Yanbian is you know in Jilin province in northeast China so can you give us some of the history of, of that community uh, and then in turn you know to expand why music is a particularly interesting way of investigating this history mm -hmm. or identity right um, so Chaozing refers to the Korean minority in China between the second half of 19th century and the first half of the 20th century, about 2 million Koreans migrated to China in search of economic opportunity and uh, political stability. So settling primarily in Chinese northeastern region, then now known as the Yanbian Korean Autonomous Prefecture, which borders to um, today's North Korea. These Koreans developed a distinctive cultural identity as one of the 55 Chinese ethnic minorities closely interacting with North Korea throughout the 1990s and with South Korea since the establishment of uh, diplomatic relations between China and South Korea in 1992. At the early stage of migration, many of them were farmers and having not having much time or resources for developing their own cultural identity or their own musical cultures. Their music throughout the first half of the 20th century was um, attributed mostly with folk songs, farmers' band music, and a farmers' uh, wind instrument called the tungso, and blown bamboo flute. When they were designated as a Chinese ethnic minority in 1949, or around that time, they started expanding their music cultures by developing ethnic instrumental music traditions and training musicians who specialized in Korean instruments. And one of the motivations for them to expand and develop their musical traditions were they want to um, make their um, instrumental tradition compatible to those of other minorities in China as well as Han Chinese uh, majority. Mm -hmm. For this community, um, the development of Korean music reflects the social transformation and shaping of a Korean community as a Chaozhenju minority, a Chinese minority group. So um, I view music um, as a cultural and social construction, and it is a very instrumental to investigate identity because it communicates with people at personal level and also, it often marks collective identity as a representation of a nation or ethnic culture. So um, that is why I focused on music, and um, I 
use music as a way to uh, investigate and discuss Chaozhenju identity and cultural construction. Mm, mm. Great. Well, yeah, I think uh, I think you you demonstrate very clearly that it's uh, an excellent lens into this uh, this the complex history and uh, the many um, different sort of influences and uh, and negotiations that are part of that uh, evolving Chaozhenju identity over time. Um, but I guess uh, following on from that, as you became more involved in your research and you spent time in Yanbian and you kind of uh, heard more Chaozhenzu music and spoke to more Chaozhenzu musicians and were generally more involved in the, the scene, I guess. Um, what were kind of some of the questions that you subsequently found it most interesting to ask? Because I guess, you know, any kind of fieldwork often starts out with some questions you might have at the beginning, but then when you actually do the fieldwork, lots of new questions emerge. So what, what kind of questions were most important to you in investigating this question of the interplay between music and identity? Yeah, um, actually, there is a one central question I always um, came, uh, I always returned to, and I always um, carried on throughout my uh, research. Um, the question was, uh, what makes the Chaozhenju music so distinctive? What mm. makes the Chaozhenju firmly assert that their music is different from that of Koreans in North Korea and South Korea. Okay. And um, this wasn't so clear to me at the beginning, and it only became uh, clear and made sense as I met so many um, Chosenju musicians and analyzing music, reading about Chosenju music, and also um, um, visiting multiple times Yenbin and um, try to find out this music, how it is um, similar or how it is uh, different from uh, that of North Korea and South Korea. So it was a kind of um, simple question that I start with, but something that I had to carry on until uh, the end of my research. So a lot of Chosenju musicians were talking that, you know, their music is a distinctive um, because it was influenced by Chinese uh, culture and because it is a music that um, created by Chaozhenju uh, musicians and um, cultural intellectuals. But there are quite a bit of gray area that, you know, whether is this only the case of Chaozhenju or is this also similar to what was constructed as a national music in North Korea? Mm. I mean, to me, um, yes, if you are comparing South Korea's um, traditional music as a conservative and more maintaining the sort of ancient, uh, you know, older tradition of, um, you know, South Korean culture or Korean culture, then uh, maybe Chaozhenju music can be contrasted with that of South Korea. However, Many Chaozhenju musicians also describe their music as a, you know, something that combines a tradition and progressiveness that you will find both South Korea and um, North Korea. So finding out what is then um, the characteristic that I can you know, say uh, about Chaozhenju music in one sentence, I mean, that was the, my, uh, my major quest all the way through the, um, the end of uh, my you know, uh, PhD research as well as uh, writing, finishing my book. Mm, mm. Well, that yeah, I think that 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 is a very recognisable 
um, kind of, well, question or uh, issue in any uh, borderland situation or any situation with multiple sort of cultural worlds involved uh, because it's difficult. You don't want to describe people only in comparison with other people that they might be like or different from, right? There's some desire to say something declarative and assertive and positive sort of descriptive about the people for the for themselves rather than just saying oh well it's not this and it's not this uh, i think that applies really to any kind of uh, you know uh, i guess broader cultural uh, based or social based research so uh, i think that uh, that makes a lot of sense but i mean when it comes to kind of reaching an answer to that question i guess obviously there are lots of uh, comparative themes that you draw out in the book some uh, broader of course literature on on uh, some of the disciplinary uh, concerns of of ethnomusicology of anthropology of, of migration and diaspora and so on so i wonder if you could say a bit more about uh, what you concluded overall about what the chaoshenzu musical world had in common with for example other chinese minority groups or with other korean uh, uh, musical or cultural traditions inside or outside Korea and what was different from those things what what did you sort of ultimately decide or, or uh, conclude was was distinctive in this way I mean um Chaosenju music shares are certainly some commonalities with uh, other ethnic music in China not just minority music but uh perhaps more uh with uh, Han Chinese construction of national music I mean, I would say that almost all minority music in China have been influenced by Han Chinese construction of national music. And some of the uh, the features um, that I um, can share were um, Han Chinese um, construction of national music emphasized um, instrumental reformation so that um, traditional um, ethnic instruments could have a louder sound um, to be played for larger audiences who come to appreciate music in larger uh, concert halls, venues. And also, um, Chinese uh, government emphasized the um, implementation of um, some of the foreign influences if that is a, uh, will make Chinese culture uh, positive or uh, more effective and progressive, right? So um, they implemented equally tempered tuning mechanism for um, traditional uh, Chinese as well as ethnic uh, instruments. And they want to have, um, you know, large uh, ensembles. And in order to create good sonority of the ensembles, then um, definitely instrumental reformation and equally tempered tuning system was um, necessary. So um, some of these um, characteristics and um, Han Chinese influence, uh, influences are obviously uh, found in Chaosenju music. But at the same time, um, as a minority music in China, Chaosenju need to uh, mark their own uh, minority cultures. So um, Chaosenju need to uh, develop um, the musical instruments and uh, musical repertoires that, that are distinctive to uh, Chinese Koreans um, in um, in China. So, um, at, as I said at the beginning of um, um, oh, migration and uh, Korean migrant cultures in early 20th century, um, 
you don't find a lot of uh, information about how uh, traditional Korean instruments were performed in China. Um, it was rather after 1949 when um, Chinese uh, Korean musicians and intellectuals want to promote their minority identity by developing and um, transplanting some of the traditional instruments uh, uh, from uh, Korea. So um, they uh, were very conscious of using um, traditional Korean instrument, but at the same time, they want to create that and develop that uh, uh, having um, Chinese influence or Han Chinese influence. So mm -hmm. reformation of traditional Korean instruments were obviously there. And then um, in order to perform this um, Korean traditional instrument, they wanted to create um, musical repertoire composed by um, many uh, Chaozinju musicians. And that can appeal to um, Chaozinju audiences in China. Mm, mm. Well, I think that, yeah, that that uh, is a, an indication of some of the complexities of these sort of, um, it's almost like a kind of nested or, uh, I guess, uh, entangled set of influences and hierarchies and, and uh, you know, flows that, that I think you trace here because exactly as you say, uh, as a response, I guess, to uh, a kind of... Um, Euro-American hegemonic uh, framing for what <laughs> performed music is like. There's a broader Chinese response as far as, as you say, reforms to certain musical uh, instruments and, and uh, also uh, the composition of ensembles and the composition of music, uh, of musical pieces is concerned. That That is happening in broader China as a response to perhaps this uh, kind of uh, Euro-American hegemony of cultural form. But within China, then China, the, the, that Chinese and, as you say, Han Chinese-dominated uh, pattern uh, comes to be hegemonic for Chinese minority groups, and so mm -hmm. uh, groups like Chaoshans who respond to that, right, and and, the, and uh, they have that uh, sort of quality of being yeah, nested within multiple layers of of, of, of sort of uh, hegemonic form, but also with a sort of outlet to Korea to a separate uh, national, I guess. Uh, identification with certain kinds of musical styles so i think you yeah that the interplay between those things is something you you tease out uh, extremely well despite it being <laughs> extremely extremely complex thank you yeah it is very complex i mean there are tons of um discussions um recorded um, exchange between uh, musicians and intellectuals how to make the music uh, distinctive to Chaozinju and fit into their uh, cultural identity. Uh, what I found out is um, Chaozinju uh, musicians and uh, intellectuals are always conscious about making things that uh, is working for their own community. So they had this uh, two big um, sort of um, political and um, and culture um, uh, kind of um, mandate and um, agenda that they need to make their music as um, Chinese minority uh, and at the same time uh, something that is distinctive about um, ethnic Koreans in China. Mm. 
Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, lots of this, obviously, uh, so far, and, and, you know, plenty of your kind of, I guess, contacts and conversations in the book, too, are focused on this more uh, intellectual tradition, the kind of, uh, you know, as you've said, construction, which I guess is a a kind of uh, twofold construction, both of ethnic identity at large, uh, Chao Shenzhou as a category within China, but also then, uh, as you've put it, the music that is identified with that group. Um, So I wonder, I mean, during your field work, uh, you were in conversation with some of these uh, leaders of some of the performance troops that we might say a little bit more about shortly, uh, as well as, uh, you know, people who've studied the musical tradition based in Yanbian. Um, during that fieldwork, you know, were there any particular sort of challenges that that presented themselves with doing that work uh, relating to the, the conscious construction of, uh, of Chao Shenzhou music? Um, and were you able to balance that with thinking about more spontaneous, more vernacular everyday varieties mm. of Chao Shenzhou music. How do you see the interplay there? And how did that uh, play out in your actual field work as you conducted it? Okay, um, I guess um, I'd like to share a little bit of my uh, contemplation and experiences in the field um, in answering your question. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this is a, something that I discussed in my um, chapter on um an introductory chapter, and also something that I carried on uh, a lot throughout the um, the research journey of Chao Shenzhou music. Um, what was um, the extremely challenging for me is that a lot of musical creation and um, uh, and appreciation were centering the um, institutions and um, those institutions are government-run institutions. So uh, many musicians who I met were affiliated with uh, government uh, musical troops and also uh, teaching and working uh, at the the minor Chao Xinchu music schools um, called uh, Yanbian um, uh, Yishu Yuan. So um, Yanbian music schools um, are a primary uh, site that I was able to view uh, what was going on with the Chao Xinchu music. And uh, by accessing to uh, their libraries, I was able to read um, many um, you know, magazines and um, historical documents uh, rarely uh, accessible to outside of those institutions. So um, I had to contemplate a lot that, you know, uh, my uh, research has been much focused on the institutional construction of Chao Xinjiang music. Um, and uh, frankly speaking, in the middle of 2000, even if I try uh, very hard, it was extremely hard for me to um, experience the music uh, produced and performed um, as a, a private um Entertainment or uh, private, um, you know, musical groups. So a lot of um, live music venues that I experienced was either uh, with uh, government musical troops or what was happening in Yanbin uh, minority music schools in um, in Yanbin. So mm-hmm. um, that was one of the uh, you know contemplation that I have. You know, am I sort of looking? Um, enough diversity of Chao Shenzhou music, um, and am I studying uh, enough diversity of Chao Shenzhou music um, that are uh, 
uh, available um, in and outside of um, institutions. And also um, gaining access to um, even sound recordings were extremely difficult. Um, I was lucky enough to have a, a friend who were working in the Yenbian uh, Broadcasting TV and radio broadcasting uh, company. So I was able to um, access and uh, listen to some of the sound recordings uh, produced um, in um, Yenbian Broadcast Station. However, um, there was almost none um, instrumental music uh, recorded in uh, sound um, uh, objects at that mm. time. Um, there are tons of um, vocal music available to buy and listen to. Um, there, I was spending quite a bit of time, um, you know, viewing uh, local TV channels uh, which have, um, you know, regular musical uh, programs, and uh, mm. vocal music were always, um, you know, dominating um, instrumental music. So there are these um, different sort of um, uh, um, musical cultures that. Uh, I need to uh, combine together to gain a fuller picture of what was going on with um, music in um, Chasenji community and Yenbin. Mm, mm. Well, yeah, and I think, uh, you know, notwithstanding those difficulties, those challenges with access, uh, it's um, something that you've you've done a very good job of, of, of painting a, a pretty full picture. Uh, so I think I overcame those, uh, some of those challenges extremely, uh, extremely well. Um, I, I guess out of curiosity, I wonder, do you have a, still a physical collection of, I don't know, tapes or CDs or anything that you picked up? Uh, at the time uh, of that kind of music? Yeah, um, I um, I collected uh, many uh, vocal music uh, collections uh, by visiting um, the major bookstore um, known as uh, Xinhua Shudian in mm. um, China. And also I uh, was uh, able to um, collect uh, a number of... Um, uh, CDs, VCDs produced by the um, Jilin uh, Radio Recording Company, uh, which I visited um, and uh, interviewed some of the people who are working there. So mm. I do have uh, those uh, collections. But as I said, that the majority of the collections that I was able to acquire were uh, on vocal music collections. So mm. um, now many... Um, uh, instrumental music collections that uh, I own, uh, other than um, some of the um, the recordings that I uh, made uh, by attending some uh, live music live music uh, performances, and um, I spent a lot of time um, making copies of personal uh, manuscripts. Sometimes it was even handwritten. Um, uh, composition manuscripts owned by uh, composers who are working in uh, Yenbin Song and Dance troops or Yenji art troops. So I spend uh, quite a bit of time uh, making Xeroxes and um, and um, of this music that would never uh, or hardly uh, published uh, for mm. the uh, view of uh, public uh, uh, audiences or public, um, you know. Uh, People who are interested in Chaosinju music. 
Mm. So, I mean, um, yep. There's something very interesting there. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's come out in uh, your last couple of answers there, but th there's almost something paradoxical about the fact that, you know, this is a mass culture. It's something that notionally is identified with a, a kind of universalizing project to make Chao Xianzu identity and to have music as a key part of that. So, I mean, it's something I've also observed in not music itself, but other areas where it's actually very difficult sometimes to get to get access to, to actually... Mm -hmm. Uh, find where the where the core of that. It's something that's quite jealously guarded by uh, often uh, some of some, I guess, uh, yeah, intellectuals or or people who uh, consider themselves responsible for that identity, despite the fact that in other ways that that identity and elements of it claim to be universal and uh, ap ap applying to all Zhao Shenzhou people. I think that's a very interesting kind of paradoxical situation you've you've outlined there. Yeah, um, and another challenge that I felt um, was, I mean, I had to rely on a lot of uh, personal connections and uh, acquaintances to get me to, um, you know, access some of the um, personal um, collection of music or um, um, to interview some of the uh, the major musicians who were working in Yimbin. So, I mean... Um, I was very grateful that I had uh, enough uh, connections so that I could uh, complete my research. But at the mm. same time, I feel bad that I constantly need to rely on someone else <laughs> and, mm, um, mm. and asking for refer me to the person, um, you know, who I can interview or who I can find information on Chelsea Music. So mm. mixture of feelings always, um, you know, um, accompanying uh, my whole uh, journey of ethnographic research in Yimbin. Sure. Well, I think that's a very, yeah, very uh, recognizable anthropological uh, kind of <laughs> feeling too, that uh, ultimately one's work is always uh, based on the, the ge extreme generosity and goodwill of many, many people uh, that, uh, that without whom you would never be able to understand a lot of uh, what you can hopefully come to understand through that work. So uh, yeah, I, I appreciate that. Um, uh, we, we'll jump in a little deeper into some of the kind of content of the book uh, in a sure. second, but I, I just wondered, uh, finally, I mean, on this question of construction of identity or related to this question of construction of identity and your own work on it, um, you use the term uh, Chao Shenzhou throughout the book to to, you know, to, to uh, refer to uh, the group the, of, of Chinese Koreans. And I just wondered, uh, you know, what, what uh, kind of the reason behind choosing that particular term, because you see some... Uh, some literature on this group who would say in English, Korean, Chinese, mm -hmm. or use a Chosenjok uh, Korean term uh, for this group. So was there some particular decision behind uh, using Chao Shenzhou as, the, as a label? Right. Uh, believe it or not, it was really, um, you know, difficult for me to um, choose this term. And I was constantly back and forth <laughs> between um, several different terms um, until I finalized my, um, you know, manuscript. So, um, but, um, I mean, choosing Chao Shengju was uh, simple that um, I wanted to use a terminology that was uh, widely circulated in um, the context of um, geopolitical context in which the majority of my informants are living, um, there was a primary reason. I was thinking about why am I using Chao Xinju instead of Chao Sanjo? Um, because I don't want to um, uh, sort of um, 
distinguish them from the rest of um, ethnic minorities in China who would not be <laughs> called uh, with uh, foreign terminologies. So mm. um, I was thinking about, you know, why Hanzu, why Huizu, why, um, you know, Mongutsu, you know, these people are uh, named as, um, you know, something that they um, use in the context of China. Um, so that was the primary reason why I chose um, Chao Xinju. But then um, I know um, I spent quite a bit of time contemplating, should I just name them as a Koreans in China? But then, you know, you, as you know, there are other groups of Koreans who moved from South Korea or North Korea and living in um uh, in China. So I don't want to sort of explain that uh, all the time. Mm. And also mm. Chinese Korean or Korean Chinese. Um, that was a difficult choice as well, because, you know, um, if I call them as a Chinese Korean, then am I um, kind of uh, putting Chinese forward and Korean um, behind or vice versa. So there are a lot of complications that I need to uh, juggle and um, think about uh, before I finalized um, the term Chao Xin Chu. I'm still not confident and fully not sure that whether I made the best choice. And who knows, maybe um, next time I write about um, Chao Xin Chu music, I'll use a Joseon joke or Korean Chinese. <laughs> but um, while I was completing my manuscript, um, I thought, okay, I'm going to go with the Chao Xin Chu. Um, because I want to, um, you know, name them um, as many other ethnic minorities in China were mm -hmm. uh, named. Yeah, that was mm -hmm. um, simple, but yet um, difficult decision for me to uh, make. Well, it, yeah, and it makes sense. It reflects lots of the actual themes, not just, uh, you know, academic choices, but actual topic uh, of, the, of the book too. So uh, I think uh, that, that, that does, uh, helps us to understand uh, something broader about the experience. Um, but I wonder, yeah, if we could get into, I mean, the sort of mid part of the book uh, deals with some of the topics that we've already alluded to so far, the construction of Chao Xinzu musical identity, use of certain instruments. And as you say, there were challenges in accessing instrumental music and instrument-based, uh, you know, uh, musical practice uh, rather than vocal. So it'd be interesting to hear more about that. And then also you've mentioned some of the um, troops, some of these uh, larger organizations or uh, collectives that actually performed and were in turn responsible for constructing the sense of what Chao Shenzhou music was. So I wonder, could you say a bit more about uh, the construction of Chao Shenzhou music as an intellectual and political project uh, in, in the socialist years in China in particular, you know, post-1949, as you mentioned, is, is a kind of key era for, uh, for the development of the idea of Chao Shenzhou music. Um, and uh, in turn, yeah, why uh, certain instruments, you mentioned the kayagum, uh, were kind of part of that construction uh, and then how it was performed that's that's a lot to uh, <laughs> to deal with mm. but maybe mm. maybe if you just give us more of a sense of those uh kind of the the detail who was involved and what kind of choices were made by intellectuals and and how the music turned out yeah um well as i uh, alluded uh, previously I mean, Chosenju um, instrumental music was not so um, prevalent uh, before 1949. Um, in fact, um, 
the musical landscape of Chaozhenju in uh, pre-1949 was rather a mixture of Western um, classical music, band music, and lots of uh, popular music. And, um, and um, if there were um, traditional Korean music, um, majority of the music were vocal folk songs and um, uh, some um, musical instrument uh, that represented farmer's identity. So um, as I mentioned, um, some of the farmer's band music and uh, flute, uh, which were used by uh, Chinese, uh, Korean, uh, or Chaozinju, uh, were uh, there. Yet um, some of the uh, professionalized you know, instrumental music were not so prevalent before 1949. And majority of musicians who uh, was hired, who were hired as um, the musicians who specialize in um, Korean music, and um, who were recruited as uh, 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 the the um, the people um, developing Korean music in China, were actually trained in Western classical music traditions or um, Western band music. Mm. So um, exposure to Korean traditional instruments uh, for these um, Chaozhenju musicians were quite limited um, at the beginning of um, uh, 1950s. However, um, some of the musicians were able to find kayakum uh, in actually Hunchun and uh, Yenji, and mm. um, they were fascinated by these uh, the fact that there were some um, Korean music uh, musical instrument available in um, you know Yenbin. So um, without having uh, deep knowledge how to perform this instrument, um, they start to experimenting that instrument and. Um, Having background in uh, Western classical music string instrument, uh, people were able to manage to play very simple tunes out of this instrument. Yeah, so we should just, almost I, I wonder like, if we can just add quickly, sorry to interrupt, but the, the kayagum, can, can you just mention briefly what the what it, what it is, what kind of an instrument it is? Right. Uh, kayagum is a 12-string Korean zither. Um, I would say it is uh, one of the emblematic uh, instrument representing Chaozinju um, community as well as uh, South Korea and North Korea. It is um, having 12 strings, but um, these days Kayagum has been made to have um, 18 strings, 21 strings, or 23 strings, or 25 strings. So depending mm. on the cultural context, you will see different numbered Kayagum. Um, mm. It is a similar to Chinese uh, Guzheng, um, the mm. Chinese um, 21 string um, uh, uh, string instrument, um, and in fact, uh, Kayagum was known that um, created in Korea, inspired by Chinese um, zither instrument. So, mm -hmm. Kayagum uh, was found in Hunchun and Yenji um, by coincidence, and um, and that was the reason that um, some of Chaozinju intellectuals and musicians uh, start to promote this instrument as uh, the major instrument of Chaozinju uh, ensemble. Mm, mm. So um, 
lacking professional musicians on this instrument. Actually, um, Chaosinju government um, sent um, some musicians to North Korea, and then um, the, those Chaosinju instruments. Uh, musicians were uh, learned to play this instrument um, after spending some time in uh, North Korea and came back to Yenbin and became the teacher of this instrument. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, that 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 again, it shows a kind of uh, immediate, you know, connection or sort of hybridity or uh, yeah, entanglement of different influences on that uh, on 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 the prominence of that instrument itself. Um, so, I mean, once that kind of uh, early process of the formation of musical identity had sort of got underway, um, what were the kind of groups that were then organised to perform it, and what was the role of uh, the yeah these ensembles, these uh, kind of uh, well, yeah, yeah, Tuan or Ishu uh, kind of uh, right. artistic troops and stuff. What was their kind of um, role in in disseminating the music? Yeah, uh, one of the major troops who were responsible for Chaosinju music construction and performance in um, um, in China was um, Yanbian Songyan Dance Troupe, right? Mm-hmm. So Yanbian um, Songyan Dance Troupe was. Um, in um, um, in in um, Yenbin for long period of time, uh, even before um, um, they started developing, um, you know, um, Korean ensemble as a part of the troupe, um, many song and dance musicians were trained in Western classical music. But then, when um, Chaosinju government uh, start emphasizing that we need to create um, Chaosinju music distinctive to um, Chaosinju in China, then there was a time then Yenbin Song and Dance Troupe uh, started focusing on um, developing and performing um, Korean ensembles. So um, definitely Yenbin Song and Dance Troupe was the um, primary and uh, major um, troupe that was uh, promoting and uh, presenting Korean music in uh, Yenbin. And um, in fact, um, as the uh, government uh, cultural agenda shifted from uh, various times throughout the uh, second half of 20th century, at one point, um, Yenbin Songyan Dance Troupe uh, uh, got rid of all of um, uh, Western classical music um, instruments and only focused on uh, Korean instruments. But other times, um, when um, political sort of um, climate has shifted to more revolutionary emphasis uh, in uh, China, then um, they uh, try not to perform so much um, music that are distinctive about their uh, cultural identity, yet um, rather perform um, the nationally promoted uh, revolutionary songs and music by use of uh, Western classical instruments. So Yenbyeon Song and Dancer Troupe was a major player of Chaosinju uh, um, music, but at the same time, um, the troupe itself went through quite a bit of a shift um, uh, responding to the shift of uh, government cultural policy. Mm-hmm. One of the contrasting um, troupe um, is Yenbyeon um, Yenji um, art troupe, which was representing um, Yenji city. And this troupe was actually um, uh, emerged um, in early 1980s when um, 
uh, Yenji Copperman wants to um, re-celebrate uh, minority identity in um, uh, uh, post-culture revolutionary China. So Yenji Art Troupe um, deliberately uh, promoted um, uh, Korean instruments and um, always highlighted um, uh, Korean um, traditional cultural uh, elements by way of a musical instrument and repertoires. So um, you can see distinctive sort of um, promotion of um, different identities between uh, Yenbin Song and Dance Troupe and Yenji Art Troupe. Yenbin Song and Dance Troupe uh, was more conscious about embracing um, diverse demographics uh, in Yenbin, whereas Yenji Art Troupe uh, promotes more Chaozingju identity and want to be distinctive uh, uh, cultural group that focuses on um, Chaozingju instrument and folk um, musical uh, repertoires. Mm, mm. Well, those uh, kind of institutions are an especially fascinating, I think, uh, kind of lens through which to look at some of these changes which you chart across time over the decades, you know, run, running from back in the early 50s all the way through uh, the Mao period and the Cultural Revolution and so on, and then into more recent times, you know, with all of the shifts that that entailed with emphasis on ethnic distinctiveness or uh, Chinese unity, you know, and, or kind of somewhat hand-dominated Chinese unity, perhaps, uh, and then in turn, um, how that uh, also interacted with relations with North Korea and the openness to the outside world, including across just across the, the Tumen River, you know, to North Korea, and how, how mm-hmm. openness or closeness influenced the kinds of things that were uh, being played and the kinds of instruments and compositions that were part of that. So that's a, you know, a really immensely interesting, uh, I think, uh, index of of some of the changes that have swept around Yambian over time. And I and, uh, would encourage uh, listeners to become readers and, and really check that out in a lot more detail in the book. Um, but I wonder, uh, as we kind of move towards the end, could you say some more about how these troops, which yeah you visited and did work with, they you know still exist after all these decades? Um, the back of the book even has a picture of the... Um, of one of them uh, on it, the building that one of them is in, which I have to say, you know, at the time looks slightly, uh, <laughs> looks like it's kind of in a back street and maybe not not the most uh, prominent location. But in any case, how have these kind of more institutional, organized forms of Chaoshinsu music fared in the kind of market era, I guess, since the 1980s and since uh, consumption of music has changed so much with both technology and, of course, with the broader socio-political changes involved in you know, uh, buying and selling uh, different forms of music? I mean, still at um, official level, these um, music troops are uh, functioning and they're the representative of music troops um, of um, Yenji City as well as Yenbin um, um, as a, a Korean autonomous prefecture. However, um, even in the middle of 2000, already the uh, music troops were having difficulty uh, because um, the the type of government subsidies that the uh, musicians receive as the uh, member of uh, those troops were not um, 
coping up with inflations that um, Yenbin people were seeing at the time. So um, they were losing some members who are leaving the Yenbin uh, for South Korea or uh, bigger cities in China uh, to find a jobs uh, other than uh, music uh, professions. So um, already like in the middle of 2000s, um, these musicians were... Um, uh, these musical troops were uh, confronting some uh, difficulties how to survive through the um, the influx of uh, market economy that are uh, coming to Yenji and Yinbin. However, um, the um, if um, they want to be professional musicians in Yinbin, then you know, obviously, Yinbin song and dance troupe and uh, Yenji art troupe are the uh, this distinctive um, troops that will um, grant them um, some kind of, um, you know, cultural capitals and social capitals. So, mm. um, I mean, not financial or economic sense of capitals, but, you know, because of other reasons, a uh, uh, number of uh, musicians decide to stay uh, and remain as the members of Song and Dance Troupe and Yenji's um, uh, Arts Troupe. However, um, they had to find uh, other ways to um, bring um, some more, um, you know, financial um, uh, stability to um, their, um, uh, in order to um, sustain um, um, in uh, uh, musicians or art professionals in uh, Yenbin. So they were mm. performing for, um, you know, someone's sort of. Um, uh, private parties and uh, also um, taking jobs that um, that they accompanied some um, vocal um, singers who are recording their music. So, um, and also teaching uh, private students. Um, so they were taking multiple sort of um, um, jobs that, so that they can combine together uh, and sustain as a, uh, um, you know, art professionals in Yenbin. Mm. Um, mm. And obviously, um, I can imagine that, you know, that kind of um, sort of um, marginalization of this institutional music has been even intensified when um, the majority of um, audiences uh, are quite attracted to global uh, music as well as, um, you know, uh, South Korean music uh, arriving in um, Yenbin um, since um, the early 2000s and perhaps the degree of, uh, you know, uh, sort of uh, distribution and consumption of uh, global pop music will be uh, even more today. So, um, yeah. Mm. Well, I wonder, I mean, that kind of brings us full circle, really, uh, to where we started with your initial encounter with the question of Chaoshenzu music in South Korea. So uh, maybe I'll ask just one final question, kind of uh, drawing on from that, because you mentioned their kind of K-pop and uh, the kind of musical influences that are there in Yenbyen today. Uh, certainly that is that is everywhere, just as it is elsewhere in the world, of course. Um, but I wonder then what happens when a certain uh, essentialized version or a, a, con a constructed institutional version of Chaoshenzu Korean in China music meets uh, something like K-pop or meets a kind of broader South Korean musical environment where, of course, certain forms of music are equally identified with Koreanness. I mean, K 
the K thing, K dramas, K culture, mm-hmm. K pop is is still is also mm-hmm. identified with a sort of I don't know, almost well, ethno national kind of uh, label, if you like. So what what has happened in more recent times with meetings between uh, Chaoshenzu musicians and uh, people who know about Chaoshenzu music and South Korean uh, again actors in their musical space. I think um, there are definitely generation um, differences who are consuming and more geared toward the South Korean music or global pop music or even like Chinese pop music um, as uh, young consumers. But at the same time, um, there are mid-age or older um, Chaozin Jew audiences who uh, want to uh, continue to consume um, some of the locally produced um, the the music that are sort of um, appealing to the sense of Chaozin Jewness. So um, when I was um, researching some of the uh, vocal music um, sung by Chaozin Jew musicians um, recently, that um, some of the commentaries that I was able to read were. Um, they really appreciate, um, you know, this type of Chaozinju music that, you know, reminds of their, um, you know, younger um, years or reminds of uh, something that their, um, you know, parents or grands- grandparents were listening to. Mm. But um, obviously there are, um, you know, the sort of diverse reactions and consumption patterns that you can read um, in um, the consumption of some um you know, popular and vocal music in um, in Yenbin. Um, speaking about the instrumental music, um, I mean, a lot of um, Chaozinju musicians, in fact, uh, visited South Korea with a curiosity to learn uh, what was the um, sort of a traditional Korean music uh, practiced in South Korea, uh, beginning from the um, mid-1990s and throughout, you know, today. Um, and um, often um, they want to um, sort of uh, enhance their um, traditional aspect of performing Korean music when they visited South Korea. But uh, when they came back to Yenbin, um, they said that, you know, we'll have to reshape our music um, out of what we experienced and what we learned in South Korea. Um, also combining that with uh, our experiences and training um, as a musicians, Chaozinju musicians in Yinbyon. So constantly um, I can read that these musicians are conscious about who they are and what kind of a music they want to uh, create and they want to share with um, their audiences who are based in Yinbyon. Mm. Another thing that I um, noticed is that, you know, they um, collaborate a lot with South Korean musicians uh, when they visited um, South Korea. But oftentimes, um, sometimes um, their Chaosenju identity was not um, highlighted. Uh, instead, um, they were invited uh, and um, collaborating um, in order to uh, reproduce and represent sound of North Korea. So mm. there were kind of bit of um, sort of misunderstanding and um, overlooking of Chaozinju musical identity and, um, you know, distinctive uh, cultural construction that these people had um, as a, a Korean minority in China. So mm. um, 
in chapter seven, I kind of uh, wanted to share that my observation of this hierarchical nationhood that I uh, experienced in South Korea that, you know, there are quite unequal treatment of uh, Korean ethnicities um, based upon and, um, and according to what South Koreans want to see and what South Koreans want to, uh, you know, uh, understand um, the cultural identity of um, Chao Senju. So um, things are never got simpler, but (laughs) more uh, Mm -hmm. complex and uh, complicated that as um, South Korea uh, encountered a lot of um, North Korean uh, refugees coming down to South Korea, and um, depending on the what point of um, political um, time period that um, South Korea wanted to have a more North Korean um, culture, and um, you know, uh, and um, and sort of celebrating the the sort of. Um, better relationship or hoping the better relationship between uh, North and South Korea, then Mm. um, the sort of um, contributor to this kind of, um, you know, musical landscape was um, Chao Senju. Oftentimes, their distinctiveness as a a cultural agency was not uh, hardly, um, you know, there and Mm. uh, earned uh, as much credit as, um, you know, other sort of um, musical um, agency um, in South Korea. So um, I was a little bit um, sad to, you know, uh, observe those kind of scenes uh, um, happening and emerging in in South Korea in early 2010s. Mm. Well, I think that that definitely reproduces or uh, reflects observations that many people have made about the uh, situation, you know, that especially the Joseon Jok Chao Shinzu position within South Korea, where uh, I guess yeah, under this banner of Katan um, Minjok, right, this idea of same, same being from the same nationality, from the same family, being Koreans, Chao Shinzu is sometimes viewed as a kind of bridge to North Korea and as part of a North South dynamic without really attributing enough separateness or distinctiveness, I should mm-hmm. say, to that Chao identity. So I think uh, throughout this whole book and indeed during this interview, you've done a great job of uh, you know, excavating and, and asserting some of this uh, really uh, special and, uh, and, and fascinating and distinctive Chao experience. So um, thanks very much, uh, Sunny, for, uh, yeah, for doing that uh, for us today. Um, before uh, we wrap up fully, though, I'll ask you uh, our final traditional question uh, on the New Books Network, which is um, what you're working on at the moment, uh, what kind of projects have developed out of your work on the, on Chaoshenzu music, and yeah, what have you up yeah. to uh, currently? Well, after my uh, research, uh, field research in um, Yanbian and on Chaoshenzu, I also um, got into uh, research of um, North Korean uh, migrant troops in South Korea and also North Korean uh, troops in um, Japan. Um, so um, currently, uh, I am working on my second book um, manuscript project um, that um, that I hope to illustrate how the plurality and diversification of a Korean ethnicity manifested in different construction of national music poses um, a question what the um, 
you know, Korean national music and what Korean identity is. Um, I also want to bring um, sort of um, attention to how this national culture is a dialectically created uh, between, um, you know, nation um, based in um, in Korea and um, with um, transnational influences. So mm. um, my interest in migrant studies and uh, migrants as a cultural creator uh, continues, but this time I want to look at more diversified groups and uh, want to look at how this national culture that we believe, um, you know, something represents the Korea uh, can be also transnationally transformed and um, shaped. Fantastic. Well, that sounds like a yeah, an amazingly interesting uh, expansion of some of the themes here, as well as yeah, uh, exploration of of quite new uh, areas. So uh, we'll look forward very much to to reading that uh, book too when it uh, when it appears. Um, but uh, in the meantime, thanks very much, uh, Sunny, for uh, appearing on the podcast today. It's been great talking to you. Oh, thank you so much, Ed. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, well, uh, listeners, thank you too for uh, listening in as ever. Uh, please do check out this excellent book and uh, we'll see you next time on New Books in East Asian Studies, which is a podcast on the New Books Network. Uh, goodbye.